Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. This is a special edition of Busted Open on Sirius XM Fight Nation. Live from the Sirius XM studios in New York City, this is Busted Open. Your only destination for daily pro wrestling talk in the entire world. From the independent scene to the main event of WrestleMania, no one covers pro wrestling like Busted Open. Eddie Guerrero was busted open. Hot topics, breaking news, and interviews with some of the biggest names in the game. A show designed for the fan by the fan. Old school. The irritable force meeting the immovable object. Meets new school. Busted open. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Live now. This is Busted Open's Remembering the Territories Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling Special. Here are your hosts, Dave LaGreca and Tommy Dreamer. Welcome to Busted Open Remembering the Territories this week, talking Mid Atlantic championship wrestling and doing it with my tag team partner the innovator of violence the landlord of the house of hardcore tommy dreamer tommy how are you man i'm doing great and i've been obsessed with mid-atlantic wrestling ever since i've been watching it on the wwe network i watch it religiously uh i only got to see bits and pieces of it as a kid but man i am loving studio wrestling from mid-atlantic championship wrestling tommy let me ask you how did you discover uh mid-atlantic wrestling Mid-Atlantic came on for my cable television uh, for like two to three weeks. And I remember seeing, but I mean, all the stuff that I got, you got, was all from the wrestling magazines. But uh, I don't know the year, but it had come on for like only a month. And I was totally obsessed. I remember Blackjack Mulligan. There was a bounty on his head. There was a wrestler named Enforcer Luciano, who I've never seen ever since but he uh broke a light tube and ate the glass on television and i was like oh my god but this was kind of like 80s early early 80s and then uh just all my information was all from the wrestling magazines until i was able to get it you know once they kind of merged but that early uh crockett promotion that was i never got it never got to see it yeah, and I didn't see it until later on when it was on Telemundo with Yuga Savinovich doing play-by-play. Uh, but obviously, if you're a wrestling fan in the late 70s, early 80s, you knew all about Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. And, and really, you know, it really hit its stride to me in the 70s, but there is a rich history when it comes to Mid-Atlantic Wrestling, Tom. Oh, absolutely. From uh, Jim Crockett Sr. Fi- founding it. I believe it was in like the 40s and, you know, it continued to grow and grow. And it was really a, you know, even talking about Ric Flair and uh, a lot of the older guys, it was really a tag team based territory where they would have a lot of, you know, feuds, but they were mainly all kind of like all Japan style where you'd have all these stars, but in tag teams uh, matches up until you'd have their big blow off. And uh, it, it was it was a staple, man. It was, you know, from the Ole uh, and Gene Anderson or the Briscoes, or I remember Sweet Hanson, Rick, Rip Hawk, uh, Black Jack Mulligan. Pff, man, the, the list goes on and on. Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat, Johnny Valentine, uh, Sweet Ebony Diamond when we had Rocky Johnson on. He talked about that angle. Just so much rich wrestling history and great weekly television, which – Really, if you think about it, dude, it was it was what two states? It was a little bit of into into Virginia too, but it was North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, and then it just grew. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned about the rich history in 1973. Jim Jim Crockett passed away, and then Jim Crockett Jr. took over the territory, and that's truly when Tommy kind of moved on from being 
just about tag team wrestling. And it still was great with tag team wrestling, but that's when you really saw those individuals come to light. And, you know, in the mid seventies, you mentioned blackjack Mulligan, Rufus R Jones, Wahoo McDaniel, who's probably the biggest baby face in mid Atlantic in the, in the mid seventies. And then the heels like the Avenger, uh, Brute Bernard, Sweet Hanson, like, but Wahoo McDaniel would probably be the big baby face from the mid seventies for mid Atlantic championship wrestling. Absolutely. A lot of the people uh, gave credit to Ric Flair coming back from his, uh, airplane crash and turning heel and having the blonde hair kind of patterning himself after nature boy buddy rogers and him and wahoo's flair really ignited and popped the territory and wahoo was that key baby face and that was in the 70s and then after the wahoo flair feud ends here comes wahoo and greg valentine but wahoo wahoo was that go-to guy that the fans just loved everyone knows about his toughness everybody knows you know former nfl player but wahoo was that company's top baby face for a long long time i mean almost almost what three decades yep Really. And then, you know, for me, I didn't get to see Wahoo McDaniel until the 80s. And that was near the end of his career. And he was one of the best superstars in the NWA. But if you really go back and watch his work from the early 70s, especially, and how the fans love the Wahoo McDaniel, it's absolutely fantastic. Tommy and then he was still part of tag team wrestling like you said that was big in mid-Atlantic he tag team with Paul Jones and you had the Briscoes you had the Andersons and you know and even later on when it came to the Youngbloods and Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood you know tag team wrestling was definitely a big thing in mid-Atlantic you know you can go back and if you look at the history of mid-Atlantic wrestling like you could see so many wrestlers cutting their teeth uh, in this territory, you know, uh, Sergeant Slaughter, uh, you, Rick Flair and Ricky Steamboat both have said probably their best matches were when they were feuding in mid-Atlantic together that nobody ever saw on television. You know, they're part of the NWA, so you also had for the first half of that uh, Harley Race being the heavyweight champion and being that, you know, go-to guy. And then after that, it segued into Ric Flair being that guy. But I mean, Bob Orton Jr., mass superstar, uh, super destroyer, Sir Oliver Humperdinck in the house of Humperdinck, Dick Slater, one-man gang early in his career. Like, this dude was in his 20s, like early 20s, being a main eventer. Jimmy Valiant, everybody had a storyline. Uh, and my personal favorite, and I have no clue why he's not in the Hall of Fame, Bob Cottle leading the call each and every week. And what an amazing storyteller. My favorite part that, I, again, I'm watching this every single night almost in WW, uh, on the WWE Network, and they're interviewing enhancement talent. They're interviewing guys who, you know, a young Don Kernoodle, a, a young uh, Private Nelson who later became Boris Zukov, a young Black Bart, um, all these guys. And they're giving enhancement talent mic time, uh, a young Mike Rotundo, and Bob Cottle is literally leading them on this interview because he's also getting that times like hey stretch this out or it's time to cut these guys off it's fascinating television to watch it really is and when we come back tommy i want to get into the tv product and you mentioned bob coddle who unfortunately gets lost when you talk about some of the greatest voices in the history of pro wrestling we'll get into the feuds and definitely somebody who was a part of some amazing feuds in mid-atlantic championship wrestling greg valentine is going to join us a little bit later on we'll do all that when tommy and i are back on remembering the territories Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. You're listening to Busted Open's Remembering the Territories, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling Special, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. WWE legend, The Undertaker. I have tried my hardest to protect kayfabe. Honestly, just within the last couple of years, I mean, I would cringe when I would hear people, you know, like we're doing now, like talking openly about behind the scenes stuff. It would just like, I, I'd grit my teeth and this, I think I was the real last holdout to, to kayfabe. Listen to Busted Open's interview with WWE legend, The Undertaker, on demand now via the SiriusXM app. Just search Busted Open interviews now free for most subscribers. 
Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer look back on the territories and delve into Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. This is Busted Open's Remembering the Territories special. Welcome back to Busted Open, Remembering the Territories, talking Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Myself, Dave LaGreca, and again, of course, the innovator of violence, the landlord of the house of hardcore, Tommy Dreamer. Tommy, these are probably my favorite shows to do is with you talking about uh, these great territories that we grew up watching. And when we talk about the territories, each and every show, whether it's Georgia Championship Wrestling or World Class Championship Wrestling or Championship Wrestling from Florida, we talk about the great voices, whether it's Bill Mercer or Gordon Soley. There's so many great voices in the history of pro wrestling. And one that isn't talked about, about as much as he should, and that's Bob Cottle. I mean, he truly is, as you said before, somebody that should be in every pro wrestling Hall of Fame, but so underrated when you talk about Bob Cottle. Absolutely, and it's weird. Another guy who started off as a weatherman on the local news, and then he moved into being the host of this show. That was uh, like the the go-to. If you were the weatherman, you're going to become a professional wrestling announcer. And uh, But Bob, man, he's he's great the way he would sell stuff. And I mean, I'm, I'm seriously, like I said, I watch it every single night. Uh, if it's one match or two matches, it's such exciting television. And he puts over like, like right now I'm watching and Iceman King Parsons is coming up. He's a young up and comer and there he's helped building him up and he's wrestling Dory Funk and Dory Funk is having, you know, this hundred thousand dollar challenge to anyone who could beat him. And it's, Bob is saying, you know, hey, what a hundred thousand dollars would do for a guy's career, and he, like he, you, you're watching these characters grow from their infancy to you know the stars that they become, whether they become a star there or they become a star elsewhere. I mean, I watched probably Mike Rotundo's debut in the company, and now he's the the television champion, and he had this feud with bad, bad Leroy Brown where he just kept on, he couldn't beat him for all this different interference, but you felt like every week you're going to get behind Mike Rotundo even though he's losing, and it's a lot of like Bob Cottle talking about his amateur background, talking about this kid's got so much heart. He's been an amazing storyteller. I have no clue why he's not in the WWE Hall of Fame, and maybe it's just because of the time he was there, because then, you know, after Bob, even though he uh, the Crockett's took over and then Tony Schiavone, but Bob Cottle was amazing. And he, I mean, he did host his own show when the company expanded to the levels that they expanded. And if we also talk about the history and how I always say history repeats itself, this reminds me a lot of the WWF in the sense of what it was, you know, from the father to the son and then in, in, you know, the Crockett's, they had this big expansion and they bought a lot of the territories. They had that same uh, mindset that Vince McMahon had, except, you know, it wasn't as it wasn't the success that WWE became. Yeah. And I think a lot of people need to realize that a lot of these shows, a lot of these promotions, probably if they did go to a national level, we talked about this when it was world-class championship wrestling. We did that show, Tommy, they could have taken advantage of it when you really look at the talent and there were certain times and like every other promotion, you know, when, when it hit the eighties, it definitely took a dip. But when you look at the seventies, there was probably no stronger promotion than mid Atlantic championship wrestling. And, you know, whether it was the storytelling of, of a Bob Cottle, what it was that amazing, just talent base, and we talk about a Ric Flair and a Greg Valentine and a Wahoo McDaniel and a Rufus R. Jones and a Ken Patera for a time and a Black Jack Mulligan and a Steve Kern. Like they really did have a lot of the top talent and it would really help. And you talk about storytelling when it came to Bob Cottle. Obviously, you need stories for feuds and they had amazing feuds and probably one of the biggest feuds involved our guest that's going to be coming on in a few minutes and that's greg the hammer valentine and his feud with wahoo mcdaniel absolutely that famous shirt i broke wahoo's leg he was pro wrestling tees before pro wrestling tees was cool yeah but uh you know valentine he was his father wrestled in the territory he was the next you know he was up there with will he be the next rick flair and you know he kind of got sidetracked plus he also left the territory but he was from him and Flair uh, 
tagging to him and Flair feuding, but him after breaking Wahoo McDaniel's ankle or his leg, uh, his that feud ignited once Wahoo came back from that. But the constant reminder and then like the rehab and it's not, they don't have the rehab that we have today, but those reminders that Wahoo's going to come and get you Wahoo being, uh, you know, laid up. And I mean, I, I, I'm watching it. Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood are talking about when Wahoo comes back. Jack and Jerry Briscoe are talking about when Wahoo comes back. And it was like they always reminded you that this feud is going to happen once the guy is ready to, to come back and wrestle. It's just those, those are lost little things in professional wrestling, but they mean, mean so, so much to build your houses and continue your feuds. And, you know, like nowadays you don't really see it because they like to have – you know, the wrestler off TV. So when he returns, you get that big pop in the arena and that big rating spike on TV. But I think you're right, Tommy. You look back with, you know, Wahoo McDaniel doing uh, interviews from his living room. You know, Ric Flair did the same thing, you know, with, with Harley Race. The same thing we saw with Ricky Steamboat in his feud with Ric Flair. You saw those interviews. You saw Wahoo McDaniel with his leg in a cast. You saw Ricky Steamboat with the bandages on his face. Them talking about, I don't know. The doctor won't let me come back. The doctor won't clear me medically. But if it's the last thing I ever do, I'll have maybe my last ever match against Greg DeHammer Valentine so I can get my revenge. Those are the things that get you that build up excitement, that get people to tune in, and ultimately to get them to buy a ticket to see it in an arena. You know, we talk about the weekly business. I would love when they would take us to other arenas and you'd see these packed houses and you'd see these great angles. I, I'm watching. And David, when I tell you, like the Sergeant Slaughter, Don Cronoodle versus Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood was as important as Ric Flair's feud. Uh, everybody's feud meant something. Jimmy Valiant's feud with Paul Jones's feud everybody's feud meant something. And that's why those houses were jam packed every single, I mean, you saw it, you you'll, they'll take you to a different arena and you would see that these people are so ingrained in all the action. Plus it was one hell of a, a working man's territory in the sense of you had to be one hell of a wrestler. And if you go back and watch it, everybody's basics are just spot on. Yeah, and there's a lot of amateur wrestling involved in a lot of the foundation and the roots to a lot of wrestlers that they had come through Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. You mentioned Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood. I mean, uh, Jay Youngblood is somebody who we lost very, very young, but you look at the match that Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood had with the Briscoes, you know, at Starcade 83, you want to see tag team wrestling at its finest. Go and watch that match, and yeah, that's what it is. It is storytelling, but the matches too, Tommy, like those phenomenal matches and stories and feuds. That really was the foundation of Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. And for us, for you and I, Tommy, that we were lucky enough to see a lot of these shows, Mid-Atlantic was truly one of those promotions that we really relied on the magazines to read up on. Because you, you mentioned that one uh, you know, the, you saw it for, you know, for four weeks and then I didn't see it again until probably about 1985 or ni 1986 on Telemundo. But like, it really was that one, like, just like championship wrestling from Florida, you had to follow the storylines in the magazines. Yep. And, and, you know, we go back to those magazines and so many of those covers had bloody mid Atlantic wrestlers feuding or fighting during that too. I mean, I can't wait to talk to him about it, but, you know, the first pay-per-view, Starcade, which was through the roof of anticipation for myself, it wasn't played in a lot of places, but, I mean, it had such a big, big buzz. And, like, what I'm saying, this another iconic match, the Roddy Piper dog collar match with Greg the Hammer Valentine. And, you know, Roddy Piper was a, a gigantic heel and a gigantic baby face there. It just everybody was so, so frigging over that how could you not like the territory keeps on popping and growing. You could watch the expansion and the growth of this company each and every week.
you know, we talk about the arenas too. When you think of the old WWF, you think of Madison Square Garden, Georgia Championship Wrestling, you think of the Omni, uh, world class, even though you saw the weekly performance at the Sportatorium, it all built up to their big card at the Reunion Arena. And you, when you think of Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, you, of course, think of the Greensboro Coliseum. Somebody who had some memorable matches in that building is going to be joining us in just a couple minutes. That's right. WWE Hall of Famer Greg the Hammer Valentine is going to join us when Tommy and I are back on Remembering the Territories, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. You're listening to Busted Open's Remembering the Territories, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling Special, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. Soccer is a passion that goes beyond the sport, and Sirius XMFC's podcast, More Than a Game, brings that passion to you. And you believe it! In each episode, FC's panel of experts take a deep dive into club histories, iconic grounds, Anfield has erupted! Bitter rivalries, and so much more. There's nothing like a derby day in Manchester. New episodes are available weekly by downloading the Pandora app and searching More Than a Game. This is Busted Opens, Remembering the Territories, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling Special. Here's Steve LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer. Welcome back to Busted Open, Remembering the Territories, talking about Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. And let's talk to one of the greatest of all time, WWE Hall of Famer, and some of the greatest feuds ever to come out of Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling came from this gentleman, and that is Greg the hammer valentine mr valentine how are you today thank you i'm good man thank you and Very uh, good. listen i really appreciate you being a part of this show because when i think of mid-atlantic championship wrestling i think of you the great feuds the the, the feud with wahoo mcdaniel the feud with roddy piper the feud with rick flair did you have a favorite feud when it came to mid-atlantic um, actually, uh, man, they're all way up there on a high level. I really didn't have a favorite. Um, I really didn't have probably, I guess maybe Wahoo McDaniel because he, he taught me how to be, be, be tough. He just beat the hell out of me until I finally got mad and hit him back and knocked him down with my fist in his face and so he made he made a man out of me so wahoo mcdaniel is way up there on the list of course piper oh my god the matches with piper and uh when i talk about piper i get really sad um and then of course rick flair he's still around we were a tag team champions like i think three different times we had the world tag team championship belts and we had our long matches with Ole and Arn Anderson. Oh God, they beat the hell out of us. Well, at least me, anyway. <laughs> you know, it's but it's they un- made us. They made us tough. You know, there was no BS back then. No, you're right. And you know, you hear the stories about Oahu McDaniel, and unfortunately, for you know, I think a lot of newer fans don't know about Wahoo McDaniel. He re- he truly is kind of one of the most underappreciated wrestlers when you look back at the history, uh, especially at Mid-Atlantic. Yeah, he was a ex-football player, Miami Dolphin, New York Jets. He was a tough guy. He could run. God, he could run. I remember chasing him on these outdoor shows we had in the Carolinas, and I'd try to chase him, and I don't know why he was running away from me because he's a baby face, but <laughs> he took off like a deer. And so I really respected his athletic. He had the greatest legs I've ever seen uh, for running and stuff. And he was 250, 60, 70 pounds, a heavy guy. This guy was, um, he never got a shot in New York, you know. But uh, if he would have, you know, it would have been, well, you got Chief J. Strongbow up there. (laughs) But, But, I mean, he never got that shot up there. And in Minnesota, he did. But, you know, I wish he could have wrestled in New York because it seems like Madison Square Garden forever, forever is it will be the go down as a mecca for for the uh, for wrestling period. 
Yeah, and you know, a lot of people talk about the great, you know, venues. And you know, listen, I'm a Jersey kid, so you know, the Meadowlands and obviously Madison Square Garden for me is the mecca because that's where I would see my monthly cards were in those two venues. But you know, right. when you look, you look at there's so many like the Omni in Atlanta and the Reunion Arena in Dallas, and then you're fair, very familiar with the Greensboro Coliseum. I mean. The, those are venues that definitely need to be remembered in in the history of pro wrestling. Oh yeah, Greensboro Coliseum is still there too. They raised the roof. I think they raised the roof about three times over the years. But yeah, that was uh, the eighties. with Greensboro Coliseum was was packed all the time. So you know you can't forget that venue. My God, and that's where the first ever. Starcade came out, and it was really the first ever pro wrestling on cable. Well, it wasn't cable, but it was closed circuit. Close, you know. Before WrestleMania won. No, you're right. And that's why, you know, when you look back at a lot of the territories and, you know, world-class doing shows in stadiums, um, the Starcade, like you said, on closed circuit television, you know, you know, I guess with the victors come the spoils. You know, a lot of people think that Vince McMahon and the WWE created so much of what we see now, but it really goes back to a lot of the territories from the 70s and 80s. Yeah, and, and Vince, when he he just picked the, the crop that he wanted from guys from all over different territories and went for a worldwide takeover, and he did it, but he used... He used everybody that that knew how to work and knew the business, and a lot of guys in the Mid Atlantic. Sergeant Slaughter was there. I mean, uh, Piper came out of there. Steamboat, you name it. You know, as I'm doing this interview with you, I'm wearing the "I Broke Wahoo's Leg" uh, T-shirt, and it's so funny. I remember you back then saying that it was, you know especially made for you and you know and you wore that with pride each and every week on tv and we saw as fans so many times that footage of you breaking wahoo's leg and then you know seeing wahoo mcdaniel with the cast on his leg you know from his home and you know how special and how important was that time for you well well ever since i first came up from florida to the carolinas in 76 i mean it was just like non-stop you know really um they, i did one angle after other after other I mean flares a tag team against wahoo and you know i you bring up that t-shirt i broke wahoo's leg george scott was a booker great guy and god bless him he had a lot of good ideas, and uh, I didn't. I thought, oh, this is corny. He says, once you get a shirt and it says, I broke Wahoo's leg and have it put on your shirt and then wear it on interviews. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, I don't know. That's corny, you know. You know, <laughs> it wasn't corny because it got big time heat. It was a brilliant idea. It was just a simple, and now it's just an iconic shirt. I mean, they're selling them. <laughs> it's out of Chicago right now. <laughs> no, it's, it's I, like I said, I got my I got my shirt. And, you know, I wouldn't have been caught dead wearing this shirt back then because I was such a Wahoo McDaniel fan. But I digress. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, and then you mentioned uh, Piper, and then I guess the, the you know the year of the year, the the feud you had with Roddy Piper and the dog collar match at Starcade, And, you know, talk a little bit about that feud and the beatings you two took with that dog collar. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, you know what? I should have had a T-shirt made out, made out the year of the year. <laughs> uh, I used to do so many interviews about his ear, you know, so I finally just shortened it up. It's the year of the year. <laughs> uh, good God, you know, Piper... He was just a great guy, and he let me beat on him all the time. I beat. He just hit my head some more, hit my ear some more. He mangled his ear. It bled all the time. And uh, what a what a great guy! What a trooper! What a Piper was a genius. He really was. He was very very smart. A lot smarter than me. Um, so I followed his lead a lot of times, and um, 
but you know, I remember a, a time where I wanted to test Piper and see how tough he really was. I didn't even know how tough I really was. You know, I hit Wallow and he went down. I go, gee, I must be pretty tough. But, uh, <laughs> I didn't, you know, I never, I, I hate real fights. You know what I mean? Unless I know I can beat the guy. So, <laughs> Don't <laughs> but, we all. Uh, <laughs> but, but Piper one time, we were wrestling in Florence, South Carolina. It was pouring down rain. And our match was coming up. And all the people, this is outdoors now. It's like a football field with stands on one side. And the ring is right up next to the stands. And the people were, it was raining so hard, the people were underneath the ring. Can you imagine? They couldn't even watch the wrestling because they're underneath the ring, but they're looking over to see who's in their wrestling. This is how bad it was. Wow. So me and Piper went out. We had a match, <clears throat> not a dog collar match. <clears throat> It might have been after that, it'd be just before that, but it's in that same era. And we would have had a sold out crowd, but everybody left. So we're out there wrestling around, going through the motions, and <clears throat> it's slippery and it's raining, pouring down rain. And Piper says, Let's go home. And I said, No. Go home and let's finish it, right? And I said, No. And this is not a dog call, this is regular magic. And so I just kept we just kept wrestling on and on and on. And he goes, let's go home now. I go, no. <laughs> Finally, he got mad and he hit me. Bam, ba-bam, 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 like four times. Because Piper used to box, right? So he nailed me four times really fast. And, you know, I backed off and I go, holy shit. And I went into the corner. And then he grabbed me and he bulldogged me. Grabbed my, grabbed me with his left arm and, and, and my head and bulldog. You know what that is? And yep. I went all the way across the ring and, and the water was all over the ring. I almost drowned myself. He almost drowned me. I said, okay, let's go home. One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> then I came back into the dressing room and Piper's looking at me like, are we going to fight? And, and I, he started laughing. I started laughing. I said, I said, what the hell? I deserved it. Because I said, I didn't want to go home. But it was just, the, you know, it was just like, here we are pouring down friggin' rain. The people are underneath the, the ring and they're trying to watch it. I mean, that should be on video. Oh, my God. I would pay money to be able to see that match. That's fantastic. I never heard that story before. It's unbelievable. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I got a few juicy ones like that, you know. Uh, man, I, I, could, I can listen to you uh, sharing stories forever because I, I would have to think that that's just a special time. And, and I know for you, your career definitely went to a new stratosphere once you went to the WWF and obviously a Hall of Fame career in the WWF and one of the greatest feuds uh, with Tito Santana for that intercontinental title in the WWF. But – you know, for you being in that territory, especially mid-Atlantic, I, I, you know, the, the travel that you must have gone through, what was like a regular travel week for you when you were wrestling in mid-Atlantic? Okay, so when I came up to New York the first time in 79, then I, you know, I had a deal where I could go back and forth between the two territories. <clears throat> and that was a beautiful deal. I'd go to New York for a year, and I go back to the Mid Atlantic for a year. Go back to New York for a year. Go back to Mid Atlantic for a year, and then finally in '85 they cut that off, and I stayed there. But uh, that was a beautiful time where you know promoters weren't fighting back and forth, and, and I could wrestle where I wanted to wrestle, and. Uh, and it gave me strategy. You know, if I didn't like the way Vince was treating me, I could go back to Crockett or vice versa, you know. Well, but they wait. were beautiful. You know, I'd like to say one thing about Ric Flair, the feud I had with him when I turned against him. And I, I, hit his, I hit his nose with a cane, and the cane wouldn't break, and I kept trying to break the cane, and never did break, but ended up breaking his nose for real. So... 
I had an angle with Piper's ear, and I had an angle of Ozzy's leg, and I had an angle with Ric Flair's nose. <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and he used to wear a, a nose guard. He wore the nose guard on his interviews, and he, when we first started wrestling back, he'd have that nose guard on there. And it was, well, it was easy. All I had to do was pull the nose guard off, and the people start screaming, you know. But he legitimately had a broken nose. That's amazing. And and one last Greg. question. One last question uh, is that, you know, we, we talk a lot about the great voices. And when you worked in the WWF, obviously, Gorilla Monsoon. And, you know, Georgia and Florida had Gordon Soling and Bill Mercer in, in World Class and Lance Russell in, in Memphis. You know, talk about Bob Cottle and Bob Cottle's importance uh, to Mid-Atlantic Wrestling. Yeah, and Bob was really, really good. And he was, of course, he came over from doing all the college sports in Raleigh, basketball and everything. I know basketball, definitely. So he was just a great announcer. He was a real good sports announcer, no nonsense. And he was always middle of the road, but he was a babyface announcer, you know. He was, he was great. Bob Cottle and Tony Schiavone back in that day in the era. They were a good team. I also, you know, David Crockett, he was he was good. David Crockett just called it as he saw it. So it was just a it was a great Mid Atlantic was was really good. I don't know what happened after he fired with that. I think they uh they tried to go too big and, and, and it didn't work out because Vince had a head start, so Yeah. Uh I I I, I, I gotta apologize to my t- tag team partner Tommy Dreamer because I completely bogarted this interview so so Tommy I know you have one 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 last question before we let uh Greg Valentine go no I'm just uh I've just sat back and listened plus I was having some zoom issues um Greg were you the only person to have that deal where you could go work for New York and work for Mid-Atlantic at the same time well here's what happened you know I I I came in um I was in mid-Atlantic for three years and George calls me in and he goes I'm going to get you out of here for a while and I'm like, my heart just dropped oh no I'm getting fired he goes no you need a heel in New York and you're going to go out we, we're going to set a good deal for you up there and this is 1979 so that's when I came in and started working with Backlund and T.J. Strombo and all that but after I was done with the feud Vince comes up to me senior and says uh, we're going to work you out, you know, you won't have any more bookings after that. He says, uh, so I just made my own deal with Charlotte to go back to Charlotte. And then Vince would say, okay, Greg, you can go back to Charlotte. And then a year later, I want you back again. So he gave you a a date to start back a year later. So I just had a beautiful deal there. And and it it went along for five years. Nobody's ever heard that, but uh, that's the way it was back in those days. And I wasn't under a contract. You know, I just never had a contract on me until 85. Wow. That's that's awesome. I mean... So it was a sweet deal. Uh, From 79 to 85, I could call my own shots and... It's great, and I love both of those territories. And my home is in Charlotte. <clears throat> I rented a uh, house uh, in Bayonne, of all places, but I love that town, Bayonne. Uh, who made all your robes? What's that? Your robes was that Mister Wrestling Number Two's wife? Because you were—I mean—had some of the best robes in professional wrestling. Who made those? Yeah, Ric Flair turned me on to her, too, but she was expensive, but, you know, they, they all worked out good. They, they were, I had about 10, <laughs> I went nuts, I had about 10 of them. Um, her name was Olivia, you know, Mr. Wrestling 2's wife. Is Mr. Wrestling 2 still alive, by the way? Yes. Because I saw him a couple of years ago. But, uh, yeah, Olivia, great lady. She made all that. I used to go down to the house and stay overnight, and she did the roles for me. She did Rick's, and I think she did a few other guys. You know, I think Warned Up, Warned Up, I can't remember who else. But she was she was expensive. <laughs> yeah. Hey, 
Greg, are the stories about Ric Flair true? Obviously now Ric Flair, a different time in his life, but you know, you hear the stories about how crazy he was on the road. Are those stories true or are they just a little bit of myth? Well, I was a laid back guy, but I thought I was kind of, you know, crazy too. But when I got tagged, tagged up with him and made the trips and a limo with him and this guy was party nonstop. He was nuts, but he was dumb like a fox, you know. He, I mean, he was—he's just very. Rick was a very smart guy, but he was—he he was wild, wild beyond. I can't even begin to say all, some of the stuff that, that we did together. I mean, he was <laughs> wild, and and I go, oh my god, I'm gonna, <clears throat> I'm gonna get a divorce. I kept saying, I'm, I know I'm gonna get a divorce. And sure enough, I got a divorce and uh, all these people right down the line in that territory back then, everybody got a divorce, including Crockett and George Scott. And and I'm going to blame it all on Ric Flair. Wow. And, and if Flair was around, he'd blame him. it all on, if Flair was here, he'd blame it all on Piper. <laughs> yeah. If, if you, I know Rick's done interviews now, and he admits to it. You know that he ruined, uh, he caused everybody to get a divorce. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Different so Greg, time. My, I know, and I, I know. I said this about three times already, but my final question: um, Is there a favorite time in your career? Obviously, you've done everything everywhere, but is there like one favorite territory? Is there one favorite time period in your career? Wow. That's a hard one. I guess uh, the Continental Belt I have and the feud I have with Tito. And then being, and me and Beefcake would come right in there second with uh, the matches we had with the Bulldogs. So I guess 85 and 86 were my favorite times, you know really were and traveling and going all over the world and and plus I was young enough to enjoy it. That's awesome. I loved the wrestling. I loved the wrestling. I loved the guys. I, I, we had a great crew of guys back then and uh, everybody was just all, all on the same page which is hard to do, you know. Right. That's awesome. Like I said, different times, man. Great. Thanks, man. It was awesome talking to you. Well, thank you, guys. I love doing Busted Open. That's my sixth or seventh time I love doing it. So anytime. Yeah, I know. We got to get you on the payroll for crying out loud. How many times you've been on yeah. the show? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Give me my uh, COVID-19 uh, stimulus check. <laughs> 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 Thank you so much, Greg Valentine. We truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Right. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you, Greg. You're listening to Busted Opens, Remembering the Territories, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling Special, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. Your home for all things combat sports is Sirius XM Fight Nation. Start your day with Hall of Fame Pro Wrestling Talk on Busted Open. Respect these men and women that build the business. Then, the Barak Show keeps you up to date on all things boxing. Boxing is the theater of the unexpected. And MMA guru, Luke Thomas, has you covered for mixed martial arts. Joe Rogan is the most important influencer in all of MMA. The fight game broken down like nowhere else. Only on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer look back on the territories and delve into Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. This is Busted Open's Remembering the Territories special. Back here on Busted Open, Remembering the Territories, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Wow, Tommy. What a great interview with Greg DeHammer Valentine. I'm going to have to listen to it because I missed half the goddamn interview because of this stupid Zoom meeting. Well, I had no idea. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, the way I saw it is I bogarted the interview and I didn't let you ask any questions. Kayfabe, brother. I mean, but you did get some good questions in at the end. So good job getting in there, Tommy. Yeah, I really wanted to talk to Greg about a lot of things. I'm a little pissed off, but uh, I'm sure you did a great job. I can't wait to listen to it. Greg Valentine, to t I cannot believe that it is 2020 and we are the first people to ever hear that he had a deal with Mid-Atlantic and WWE 
in the sense of he would go back and forth to the territories once a year. It makes so much sense to me now. Yeah. The only places you ever saw Greg Valentine work and how hot of a heel he was and that he could go back and forth and do that. That is, he's the only guy I've ever heard that was able to do that, that where it, I get it where guys would leave the territory, but they weren't sure if they could come back. But the fact that he had that deal with Vince McMahon, uh, I, I mean, why, number one, he's a Hall of Famer, why he was always a main eventer. I mean, I've wrestled Greg. I've wrestled Greg a, a bunch of times. He was a great in-ring performer. And, but during his prime, during his heyday, he was always supposed to be the next big guy, but he was always that top heel everywhere he went. But that's a fascinating that, you know, you kind of broke that story where no one else has ever had that deal. It's amazing. Yeah, and, and even like when you look back at it, you're right. It makes sense because it almost connects the dots for us as fans. And, yeah, he had that deal in place. And obviously things would change and he could never do what he was able to do in the early 80s. But then, Tommy, the, even the stories with Roddy Piper, and he really – you know, holds those feuds that he had with Flair, Piper, and Wahoo McDaniel from Mid-Atlantic, dear, near and dear to his heart. He talked about Wahoo, how much he learned from Wahoo McDaniel, because he would take a beating inside that ring with Wahoo McDaniel. It made him tough. It really toughened him up. So it made it easier for those long car rides and those matches that he had, because being in the ring with Ma Wahoo McDaniel, you really took a physical beating. And that's why veterans are so, so important to this industry and work, having the ability to not only, I mean, listen, he's a second generation wrestler. He's going to get that information from his father, but then he's also going to be in the ring and experiencing it firsthand with all these different talents. I mean, Johnny Valentine worked with Wahoo McDaniel and they probably beat the living crap out of each other all the time. And Wahoo's not going to lower his performance for the sun, but that's why Greg the Hammer Valentine, I mean, honestly, Dave, think about it. From the 70s to the 80s, Greg Valentine was a main eventer for the longest time. When he held that Intercontinental title, that was the secondary title to the WWE, and he was a recognized champion for, for so, so long. When he broke Jay Strumbo's leg, when he broke Wahoo McDaniel's leg, all of, like, every, we still, I still associate the figure four with Greg Valentine, not really so much uh, than with Ric Flair. But to me, it was always Greg Valentine to break your leg once he puts that thing on you. Yeah, and he talked about Ric Flair, and he said to us, you know, it wasn't myth. Like, Ric Flair truly was like that on the road. And he said it cost him a marriage, you know, cost George Scott a marriage, you know, right on down the line. Uh, and that's how crazy Ric Flair was. And, of course, his work in the ring. You know, the one thing Greg Valentine said, it never compromised the work and the work effort and the, and the work ethic that – Ric Flair had in the ring. And then, you know, the year of the year, as he said, the, the feud with Roddy Piper, and they didn't just have that one dog collar match, you know, at Starcade. There was many of them that they did. They did the whole loop doing those dog collar matches. And he said that Roddy Piper was a genius. He said he was one of the smartest people he knew. You know, he learned a lot just psychology-wise from Rowdy Roddy Piper, and, and Roddy Piper wanted to take those beatings. He knew it would be good, just a good visual, and it would make them a lot of money. And he said, the one thing he said, that that guy truly was a genius. Absolutely, and that's also listening to the crowd and kind of like, I want to say, ad-libbing it out there where you're beating me so much, you're beating me so much, and I'll go back to Rocky, the movies, where it's like now, and then that's when he starts blowing yep. his phone back. And you can just feel that. It's feeling the crowd. It's, it's a lost art. And, you know, Mid-Atlantic, uh, we could be talking about this company for so long because of the parallels that it had with the WWE, with the expansion uh, that Crockett tried to have. It's sad that it went out of business because it truly did uh, – change and revolutionize professional wrestling but i think its greatest accomplishment will be all the wrestlers that came out of there i mean hell tony shivani still broadcasting for aew and a lot of those guys are lost artists in this business um but everybody was was so so over if they came out of mid-atlantic championship wrestling and, and he mentioned bob coddle too yeah they were and able to write their ticket anywhere yeah, you're right. You're, you're right. When you're talented, you're talented. And a lot of that came from that Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling territory. And the Mid-Atlantic Territory is a territory we still talk about today. You know, when I think of Greg Valentine, I think of Mid-Atlantic. When I think of Ric Flair, the first thing that comes to mind 
is Mid-Atlantic as well. Wahoo McDaniel. There's so many names, so many great wrestlers. I mean, it was truly uh, something to behold. And now because of the WWE Network, and this is where I give that network a lot of credit, Tommy, is that you see some of it on YouTube, but the WWE Network has really chronologically put a lot of their best shows up on that network where you can watch right now. Absolutely. I recommend this to anyone who is an inspiring wrestler, anyone who is a professional wrestler, to watch it because you will see the basics and the fundamentals and you will see literally uh, a show full of Hall of Famers and guys that made it in this industry and you should try to figure out what worked for them to work for you. But as a fan, straight up, I watch it every single night. You can watch it in chronological order, follow all the storylines, follow all the angles, and just look at that small little studio that had very little people into it, how hard the wrestlers worked, kind of like what we're going through now during this pandemic, but as well as the amazing angles and how show business that this company did. I, I can't put over enough the strength of Mid-Atlantic Wrestling, and you're able to watch it each and every week on the WWE Network. Is there one year in particular that you think our fans should watch on the network? You got to watch from beginning to end, damn it. You don't watch it. You don't read a book in the middle. You start from the beginning. You watch it all the way in. I'm watching 1979. I'm eight years old. I just love wrestling right now. <laughs> I love it, Tommy. I love doing these shows with you, Tommy. Again, remembering the territories, Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Always. Stay tuned. Follow us on social media at Busted Open Radio to find out what show we're going to do next. And can't wait to do it again with you, Tommy. This was awesome. You got it. Uh, sorry, Greg. Thanks, Dave. Love you. You got it. Love you too, brother. Love the nation. We'll talk to you soon right here on Busted Open. This has been Busted Open's Remembering the Territories Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling Special. Check Sirius XM On Demand for more Sirius XM Fight Nation content. And follow us on Twitter at Busted Open Radio. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois.